Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Good morning. I have today's readings from Exodus chapter 13, verses 17 to 22, John 7, 37 to 44, and John 8, 12. And I'm reading from the New International Version. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though it was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea. The Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Sukkoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By the day, Lord went, by the day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night, in a pillar of fire to give them light, so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. And I'm reading from John chapter 7. On the last day and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let, every, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is a prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. John 8. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Thank you. Thanks, Micah. What a great radio voice. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, that it's a light to our feet, that uh, you guide us with it. Lord, I pray that today you might uh, uncover your word for us, that you might uh, tell us and show us what it means, help us to hear it and to obey it and to follow what your spirit tells us to do with it. We, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm not sure if, uh, if you've ever experienced uh, total darkness. Uh, Wendy, the lads and I, visited some caves in South Africa a number of years ago and uh, they were called the Kango Caves, quite famous. They're a series of caves that actually stretch underground 
and uh, in a sort of labyrinth of several kilometres. And they're, they're full of stalactites and stalagmites. Uh, I did geography, but I'm not sure which is which, but uh, I'm sure some of you can tell me afterwards. And there's lots of those streams and beautiful rock faces in those caves. And uh, fortunately for us, those caves, caves had been made very accessible because someone or people had actually put in paths with ropes on them and put in lights throughout the whole cave system. Well, not the whole cave system, but enough of it for us to get a, 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 bit, of a, a bit of a glimpse at it. But even with these helpful things, you can't enter the caves without a guide because uh, there's sections of it that are unlit and sections of it that are unexplored. And so we took a, we took a guide and uh, he took us deep into the cave and uh, once we're deep inside after looking at a lot of these stalactites and stalagmites and other beautiful things, he asked us if we wanted to experience the cave in its natural state in its natural unlit state. And uh, so we, we, we did. And after we all agreed to not move about, he turned the lights off, or he had the lights turned off. And suddenly the whole cave went dark. And it wasn't a darkness that you experience like at night time, even uh, out in the countryside, which you can still make out shapes and objects. What we experienced was was total darkness. And uh, you couldn't even see your hand in front of your face, let alone the person who was standing next to you. This, and this uh, darkness, I found myself quite disorientated. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but I, I couldn't even tell the direction which we'd come from. The, the lights weren't off that long, probably just a few seconds, but in that short time I realised that without light it would be impossible for me to find, it would be impossible for any of us to find our way out of the cave. And that also if we did even start heading in the right direction, it would be very treacherous. One of those, I would have run into one of those stalactites or stalagmites and uh, knocked myself out. It's, it was imp- I mean, I'm thankful that he turned the lights back on and, uh, we could, and he could guide us out of the cave that day. You know, it's, common, it's a common thought that the world is getting better and brighter and that actually the common thought today is that we have enough light in ourselves to find our way through life successfully and even that we have enough light in ourselves to push back the darkness in our own lives and in society. But is that really true? We look back, when I look back on 2022, the year that's just gone by, I don't think we can seriously make that claim, even about that year. In fact, the Time magazine columnist um, Lance Morrow believed that uh, we can't actually make that claim for any year in history. And so reflecting on the century that has just gone by, with all its wars and genocides, he concluded instead of the world getting brighter and, and better, he said that in fact it was getting darker. In fact, instead of enlightenment, which is what we believe we are, that we've experienced, he says that the world is experiencing something more like in darkenment. And this is not a new thought. 
The Bible uses the metaphor of darkness to speak about the state of the world and to, st- to talk about the state of people's lives when, who are influenced by evil, by ignorance and by sin. The fact is that thousands of years of existence of, human, of, 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 of humanity show us that actually we don't have enough light in ourselves to stop these influences and therefore our only hope, our only hope is to accept light that's provided for us. One of the great promises of scripture is that God will provide the light that we need. In fact, in Isaiah 9.2, the prophet said, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. The light that God provides is not enlightenment. It's not uh, human cleverness. It's not better reforms or better rules. The light that God has provided and that we need is actually a person who can lead us out of the darkness and into the light of life so that we can experience truth and peace and joy and hope for this life and also for the next. Today we're looking at Jesus' second I am statement in which he says, I am the light of the world. And uh, this statement seems pretty strange on first hearing, doesn't it? In fact, if you just hear Jesus say, oh, I'm the light of the world, without understanding the context, then you could sort of think, well, this is a bit weird. Maybe Jesus is, you know, speaking hyperbole. But Jesus' declaration that he's the light of the world was actually made in a context in which everyone present would have clearly grasped what he was saying and what he meant and what the implications were. Jesus made his statement, I'm the light of the world, uh, on the final day of a festival called the Festival of Tabernacles. And Tabernacles was this annual festival in Jerusalem that was actually compulsory for for people to attend, Jewish people to attend. And so during the festival, people went and they lived in shelters. That's what tabernacles means, you see. It means these sort of temporary shelters that people made out of palm branches and other materials that they could find. And this festival was traditionally held in that time of harvest. And, uh, And it had sort of significance for that as well. But... But they used this festival to remember and to relive and to reenact events that occurred during the desert journey of their ancestors who left Egypt and went to the promised land. They reenacted God providing water from the rock as he did on that journey when they were thirsty. And they also reenacted God guiding their ancestors uh, through the desert using a, uh, a pillar of fire at night and this pillar of cloud in the daytime. And we're told this. In Exodus 13, it says, By day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or by night as they needed to. And so neither the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night left the place in front of the people. In many ways, the Festival of Tabernacles was a, was a great celebration of God's presence with his people and a reminder that God promised 
to be present with them again. In the Bible, God's presence is not only displayed in the pillar of fire and in the pillar of cloud. When the Israelites came to Mount Sinai where Moses received the Ten Commandments, a cloud actually came down on the mountain and, uh, and there was thunder and flames and God was said to be uh, present in that. Also in Exodus 33.9, the cloud came down and covered the entrance to the tent of meeting where Moses used to go and meet with God. And uh, also uh, later in his, Israel's history, the cloud also filled the temple and prevent, it filled the temple and actually it was such a strong presence of God there that the priests couldn't even carry out their duties. They were so overcome. And so what is the pillar of fire? What is the, pillar, the, uh, the, the uh, cloud pillar of light that, uh, that, we, that are mentioned there in the Bible? Have you ever thought about that? What is that? Well, it's uh, the Shekinah glory light of God's immediate presence. And so uh, that sounds like a real mouthful, doesn't it, on a Sunday morning? But these clouds and these pillars of light are actually tangible expressions of God's presence with his people during their time of need. Once God, God, God was actually once very close, very, very, in very close relationship with people. In, in the beginning, we're told that God was so close to Adam and Eve in the garden that they could actually hear God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. You could hear the crackling of the leaves. That's pretty close, isn't it? We're also told that God even communicated and talked with them directly. But the disobedience of Adam and Eve brought an end to that close relationship. After Adam and Eve's rebellion, people no longer experienced God's presence in the same way. But at the same time, people continued to long for closeness with God. That's what you hunger for in your deepest heart, in the deep depth of your heart. Sometimes we don't even know what we're hungering for, but it's a hungering for, the, for a closeness with God. But also, people hungered for that, but they also feared it at the same time. Even Moses, who was called God's friend, was, uh, was not permitted, was not permitted uh, unfiltered access to God. When Moses asked God to show him his glory because he'd had enough of sort of, uh, he, he really wanted God to go on with them through the promised land. When, when, when Moses asked God to show him his glory, God only, only allowed God, Moses to see the back of him. And so the Tabernacles Festival was an event in which people celebrated and remembered how God revealed himself and how he had come close to their ancestors in the past. At the time of the Tabernacles Festival, people went up to Jerusalem, to the temple, and then they, they camped there for eight days in temporary shelters. It's, it's a bit, it was a bit like one of those modern music festivals that uh, people go to these days where they go and stay in tents for a bunch of days and they get up each day and take part in different events and, and then celebrate and sing into the night. But during the Tabernacles Festival, 
Three giant candelabras were erected in, in one of the temple courts. And these were so big, they were about 23 metres high. And they lit them and the flames were so bright that it lit up the whole temple and in fact lit up the whole city with great light. And so when the lamps were lit, it reminded people that God had appeared to their ancestors as a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud to help and to guide and protect them on their desert journey. It was a great symbol. But the Tabernacles Festival wasn't just about remembering what God had done in the past. People had also hoped and they expected God to do it again, to be present in that way again in their lives. They got this hope from reading passages like Isaiah 60 verse 19, which says, For the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. During the festival, these uh, three giant uh, candelabras were, were lit. The lamps on them were lit. And they were lit every day for seven days. But on the eighth day, these giant oil lamps were actually extinguished. And there was no light anywhere in the temple. And there was no light anywhere in the city. There was only darkness and so the, the darkness at the end of the festival was also really symbolic. And, and it was a clear reminder to the people that the light of the Lord's presence had not been seen in the temple there for centuries or for that matter anywhere else. The prophet Ezekiel had in fact declared that he saw the glory light of the Lord leave the temple due to the sin of the people of Israel. And so the problem, though, for most of the festival attendees is that they didn't understand how they would experience God's presence again. They longed for it, but they didn't understand how they would encounter it again. You see, they had not actually experienced God's presence themselves, even, in a, even a partial experience of him as their ancestors had. And in many ways, these festival goers year after year, were actually living on their ancestors' experience of God, an experience that they hadn't had themselves of him. And it's in this setting of this festival that Jesus actually stands up on the eighth day when the lamps were extinguished and the temple courts and the city were completely dark and declares that God was now providing light for his people to see once again for God to be present with them. See, Jesus enters that courtyard where the giant candelabras were standing and declared in front of everyone, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Timing is everything, isn't it? When Jesus declared himself the bread of life, he did this after feeding a massive crowd of people with a few flat bread and some fish. And people immediately linked the miracle with what Jesus then said about himself as the bread of life. It was an aha moment. And now after a massive festival which was focused on light and darkness and their hope for God's presence to be with them again, Jesus stands up and makes another big statement. Just when everything was dark, 
when everyone was thinking, yep, another year and no sign of God's presence again, Jesus stands up and says, the very thing that this whole festival is about, the whole thing that it's pointing to, and the thing that you've been longing for is here. It's me. I'm here. You see, you've been remembering the presence of God among your ancestors in the pillars of fire and the pillars and the cloud pillars. Well, I'm that glory light of God. I'm the pillar of fire. I'm the pillar of cloud that led your ancestors day and night and which protected them from their enemies. I'm the cloud which came down into the temple when I communed with Moses. And I'm the cloud that came down on the mountain when I gave him my laws. (laughs) It would have been a draw-dropping moment when Jesus said this. Because Jesus was offering them more than they could ever have hoped for. Their ancestors, you see, had only ever experienced a partial, temporary, sporadic presence of God from a distance. And what Jesus was saying to them here in the temple is, I have now come so that you can see, know, touch, receive, and have God's presence with you permanently and for eternity. It's good news. And the reason they could now experience God's presence in a more tangible and permanent way is because God had come in human form to deal with the barrier that was between us and him. The writer of the book of Hebrews says it like this. He says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. But Jesus didn't just end his statement that, you know, that he is the light of the world and then put a full stop on it. That wasn't the end. It wasn't just, well, I'm the light of the world. Full stop. He actually tells the festival goers how they can experience this light for themselves, which is the presence of God. You see, this is really important because up until this point in history, God's presence was only something people at these festivals had heard about from their ancestors and they had observed in a few select people like Moses. Sure, people came to the festival each year to remember and to celebrate God's presence, but for all of them, God's presence was a a borrowed experience. They were living on a borrowed experience rather than Experience a lived experience of God's presence themselves. What's your experience of God this morning? Is it borrowed? Or is it a lived experience? That's the question that, that I'm asking this morning. That this passage is asking us. That's what Jesus is asking us. But Jesus said that that day in the temple... For everyone here, when you follow me, you can know and experience this light of life yourself. You can have the light of life, you see. You can experience the presence of God in your own life. The presence of God wasn't just for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. It wasn't just for getting Israel out of Egypt or for the long desert journeys or for the giving of the law to Moses or for special meetings in the temple. You see, God's light and his presence is meant for all people so they can navigate 
life well and enjoy God forever. God still wants to fill his temple with his presence and with his light today. But God's temple is not a structure built with stone or wood. It's actually not even a place that's in Jerusalem. You see, that temple was destroyed. You see, now the dwelling place of God is in his people. And so this means that God is not out there somewhere that we need to go and find him and search for him at. And this is good news because it means that God is not living up there in heaven, distant from us. Let me even tell you a secret. You see, you don't even need to come to this church to encounter God's presence or even attend church online to encounter God's presence or go on some sort of holy pilgrimage because God's holy presence can be in you now, wherever you are. But don't forget to tithe. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? You see, in the past, God couldn't come down, couldn't come close to people or be with us. Otherwise, his glory would kill us due to our sin. And what we've needed is for God's glory to be mediated to us. And so when the Shekinah glory cloud came down on Mount Sinai, God told Moses to tell people not to get too close to the mountain or they would die. And even Moses, who was called the friend of God, couldn't see God unmediated. He couldn't see God unfiltered. He got as close as he could, but only got to see the back of God. And so here in the temple court at the Festival of the Tabernacles, Jesus is there not saying, He's not saying, follow me and I'll show you the back of God. And he's not saying, or follow me and I'll take you a bit closer into God's presence than your ancestors have experienced. Jesus says, follow me and you will have the light of life. You will experience God's holy presence in your life. You will experience God with us. And this is what they longed for. It's also what we need because only God can deal with the darkness in our lives and only his light can guide us through this life and into the next. This is why the Bible says Jesus is not just another prophet or a spiritual guide or even a guru who can show us how to get closer to God. You see, getting close to God is okay, isn't it? But it's not not enough, is it? I don't want to just get close to God, and neither do you. I want to experience him. I want to experience his presence in my life, and I want to enjoy him forever. Getting close to God is like standing outside the the National Gallery of Victoria, isn't it? When the Van Gogh exhibition is on inside, and what you really want to do is get inside and experience the paintings. Getting close to God would be like sitting outside the MCG when David Warner is just about to smash his double century and you can hear the roar of the cloud, the crowd inside. And what you need is not to be outside, but what you need is a front row seat 
watching the master. If only. You see, if you want to experience God's presence, then Jesus is telling you here today in this passage that he is the only way that God can give himself to you without his presence overwhelming you. It's brilliant. You see, Jesus is the glory of God mediated to us in a way that we can grasp and in a way that we can receive. He's not a lesser version of God. He's, he's not a small version of God. He's God who's veiled his glory so that we can know him and experience him. Coming into the world, Jesus shows us the very heart of God and his desire to be with us. You see, friends, there's nothing that God wants more than to be with us. But it's not just that God's glory was too great and, and too powerful for us. You see, Adam and Eve were able to be in God's presence, weren't they? We've got to remember back to that, that they're actually in God's presence. The issue is that sin is, has prevented us experiencing God's presence in that way. And so when the Bible says that God is the light, is light, it means that he's actually holy. It means that he's without sin. The Apostle Paul says it, as Apostle John says it like this, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. None. What is more, if we walk in the light, in other words, if we follow Jesus as Lord of our lives, accepting what he's done to deal with our sin, then Jesus will purify us of our sins so that we can have fellowship with God, so that we can experience his presence. Friends, don't be like the tabernacle festival goers who were living on the memories of their ancestors' experience of God's presence. See, today, Jesus is, a, is, is actually inviting you to experience God's presence yourself. Some of you here today are like those festival goers. You're living on the faith experience of others. But you haven't had the experience of God yourself. You've been coming to church because of your parents but you have no real relationship with Jesus yourself. Perhaps you're here because your partner has brought you along or your spouse. Perhaps you're here because, you, because it's tradition to come to church. <laughs> but Jesus says to you today, friend, I'm the light of the world. Follow me and you will never walk in darkness and you will have the light of life. You see, this is an invitation to follow him and to experience God yourself. Jesus is calling you to follow him so that you don't stumble and fall in life, so that you don't miss the true path which leads to experiencing love and joy and peace and truth. These are the things of life. These are the worthwhile things of life. This is what we all hunger for. It's an invitation so that you don't waste your life on pointless things and wander around aimlessly. Jesus says himself, I'm the light of the world, follow me. The question is, will you do that today? 
I want to encourage you to make the most important decision of your life today if you haven't made that and follow Jesus and experience God's presence and peace and joy and hope that comes from him. At the same festival, Jesus promised people, the same people, whoever believes in me, he says, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And this is the promise of the fullness of life that God is offering this morning and offering all the time. But there's something else here for, for those who are already following Jesus today. And I know that many of you are. When you receive Jesus as the light of the world and when you follow him, you will also become a light to the world yourself. Jesus says this in Matthew's gospel. Jesus says to his followers, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. He also says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Friends, God has placed us here as a community, a, a community of light bearers in these neighbourhoods that we live so that others will experience God's presence themselves and in turn glorify God. The world is a dark place. You don't need me to tell you that. The human heart unrestrained is a dark place full of pride, lust, anger and bitterness. You don't need me to tell you that. You know it. I know it. Jesus has come into the world as the light of the world to deal with the darkness and to expose it and to transform us into his likeness, full of light. The world needs the light of life. Human light, enlightenment wasn't enough. Human wisdom and cleverness will always fall short. The, world, the way the world will experience God's light, which it really needs, is if we follow Jesus and allow him to shine his light in our hearts and through our lives so that others can also see and know him for themselves. Friends, as the band comes up to sing our final song, Noel, I want you to really take these words in, that Jesus is the light of the world. I, I want, friends, I want to encourage you to, let, to fix your eyes firmly on Jesus today. And I want to encourage you to reaffirm. If you, if you are a follower of Jesus today, then I want you to encourage you to reaffirm him as the light of the world and the light which gives us life and who can make us a light to the world for his glory. But if you have not, if you know this morning that you haven't experienced God's presence in your own life, then I want to encourage you not to leave today without having a conversation with God about that, dealing with that. You haven't come here by chance. God has drawn you and is drawing you to himself. And I want to encourage you to let his light shine in your life this morning. Thanks, Rachel.